Welcome to episode eight of No Crying in Baseball. My name's Patty, and here's my friend Potty Mouth. I'm Potty Mouth. It is said that baseball is a game of inches. It turns out that podcasts are a game of minutes. Moments, just moments after we finished recording last week. And we gave you all of our predictions about the whole Yankees manager picks. We learned that Aaron Boone had already been named Yankee Skipper while we were recording. And today, just before we started to record, we had more news. What happened there, Potty Mouth? So Otani signed with the Angels, which is very exciting, but it kind of fucked up my whole plan. But we can adjust. We just spent oodles of minutes before this show reconfiguring ourselves. So we, we can adjust to this. We're flexible like that. There's news, all the time news, and it's just the off season. So maybe we should start with the evil empire. Okay, so we, we should have gone back to this last week, but I think we were done with our beers and the equipment was turned off, so we didn't turn it back on even though we got the alert. And we didn't the, really care enough. It's the Yankees. I kind of cared, but I was, I think, in my just fuck it stage, just a little bit pissed off with the news, but actually I've, I've come around. I kind of love the news now. And oh, do I, tell. I'll explain why. So Evil Empire crowned their new manager, and it's Aaron Boone, which just is a dig at any Red Sox fan, just sort of cringes hearing that name because bottom of the 11th, this is 2003, so before the Red Sox have ever won anything big like the World Series in way too many years, Game seven of the ACLS championship, bottom of the 11th inning. He hits a walk-off home run against Tim Wakefield, who I adore, our knuckleballer, who had been hanging in there and done a really good job. And so, damn, it's just this symbolic, like, fuck you to the Red Sox. The, the shiny side of the coin, though, is that he has no management experience. He has no coaching experience. <laughs> the man has been an analyst on ESPN, right? Is ESPN. that right? So, of course, that gives him lots of credentials. And actually, ironically, after that 2003 fuck you end of the season, he was injured and he was out. So I think that was the end of his his uh, playing with the Yankees for that part. But his... I, I have a note about that. Oh, please. But because he was injured and he went out, that was that was that made room for A-Rod. So that's yeah. right. That's right. And, and extra sweet, because that was another really tense situation with the Red Sox, because which way was he going to go in at the last minute? That's the way he went. But are, are you saying that you hold a grudge for 14 years? Potty so, mouth? That seems like a long time. I uh, well, can't imagine Red Sox fans holding grudges. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, every time Yankees fans count to what is it? I don't remember the number, but it, it, it happens a lot. There are a lot of grudges going around. Boone, though, um, so he feels that he's very qualified for this managerial position because he's got it in his blood, because his grandfather, his father, and his brother were all MLB players, and his dad actually managed twice. I think it was Reds and, Reds and Royals, late 90s, early 2000s. So he, by osmosis, I think, is what it is. <laughs> He's got this management in him, and he even said something about like being a sports analyst means you're managing lots of teams all the time. So power to him, you know. I wait, wait, wish him well. Does, does, it, does that mean that we could be managers one day if we keep analyzing I games so. on a regular basis? Oh, that's awesome! I've had I, little, we have a career path. I, I've had a little secret dream often of being an umpire, but that's a total another story. So we'll see. I mean, the, the the sad, slightly sad thing about this is seeing Girardi go. And um, it, he's definitely been 
an emblem of the Yankees, but at the same time, he is a manager in good shape. I mean, not many managers really keep themselves in good shape like so, that. So it's really watching Girardi, not like it watching is. Girardi manage. You're talking right. about watching Girardi. Watching Girardi. I mean, he's got the Yankees lack of hair situation. He looks a little marina. She's the the jarhead look. Right, right, right. A little rugged for me. But at the same time, you really got to respect and appreciate watching a manager who at our sort of age is staying in really good condition. You know, it reminds me of um, of Moneyball and those scenes with Brad. Well, he doesn't really look like Brad Pitt, but those scenes of Brad Pitt working out like that keep it up kind of thing. How often do you watch that? Uh, I think the last time was in somebody's driveway. Yeah, OK. OK. <laughs> um, so I have good news for you. There is a rumor. There is a rumor. It is not proven to be true, but I love to spread rumors. You might get to see Joe Girardi on a regular basis because he might be swapping jobs with Aaron Boone. Because if Aaron Boone leaves ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, there's a spot there. Joe Girardi has a history. He's he's done the other side of the mic. He might be there. So you get to see him on a regular basis. That would be poetic. But I know a couple of women with reading glasses who would also be really qualified for that position. I think we got to... Who do we call? Who do we call? I think we got to do something. But what are we going to do now? Because I had this huge Otani update ready and it's fucked up. He's with the Angels. I mean, yay. That's not fucked up. Right. It's just that all that prep work, well... Right. Well, you know, actually, it, it, it doesn't fuck me up too much because I did have it in part of the, the prep work. I said that both the Angels and the Mariners had just moved some money. And that's what we were talking about last week and the week before. We're looking for money moving around with the international pool. They both got a million bucks. So we knew, kind of, we're looking at Mariners versus Angels. Ironically, I really thought it was going toward Mariners, didn't you? I absolutely thought it was going towards Mariners until I started reading, oh, he really didn't want to go to some place that already had Japanese players or a history with Japanese players because he didn't want to steal the spotlight from them. He wanted to to kind of spread that around a little bit. So I thought maybe your point last week about the Padres was a good one. And um, he's got a relationship with some of the people in the Padres front office. So that was looking good. I've lived in San Diego. It's pretty. Maybe he wants someplace pretty. That could work. I did not see the angels coming. That's really interesting because after I didn't know that about the Mariners with the Japanese influence, and I would have thought that that would be more of a pull there. But a lot he's of people a really did. unique character. I mean, the Mariners didn't do so bad, though, with the trade, even though they have this money, which don't know what they're going to do with now. They got D. Gordon, who is up there and stealing bases. I mean, he's fast. He's moving. He's a second baseman, though. And the, the Mariners have Cano, flashback to Yankees also, who is the man at second base. So they can't do anything with that. So they're putting Gordon in the outfield, which I guess he hasn't played for quite a while, like since the minors or like a little bit when he was in the Dominican League in the winter or something like that. But he's willing to do it because... I, he wants to play with Cano, and he wants to be on the Mariners. So change of pace, I guess. And so the, inter- the interesting thing there is the Mariners now have this money that they were earmarking right. for Otani, so they could do all kinds of wonderful things with that money. And also the the Marlins are in a better spot because they had their little fire sale with, with D. Gordon. So now, I mean, they still have to deal with Stanton, but they're already well on their way to freeing up all of that salary that's been tied up in just a couple of players over there. So the Angels, why did he go with the Angels? He felt a true bond. I think what this is, is really bond? beautiful. I'm not quite sure, but they did. I mean, we were talking about the whole dating game, and he was really scouting out the teams. And I think we're, he's in it for something beyond the money. If he wanted just the money, he would have waited a couple of years. So he's looking for some sort of 
cultural experience, some sort of new life over but here. But it's Anaheim. Is Disneyland the cultural experience that he was looking for? I don't Could know. Have been it. So the interesting thing is the seven teams that he met with, he didn't meet with them in their cities, in their ballparks. He met with all of them in Los Angeles. So he did not visit any of the other cities or any of the other parks, which makes one wonder, did he already have Los Angeles or Anaheim in mind? Or did he just, he was just so taken with them that he didn't feel the need to look anywhere else. And he doesn't mind that the place is burning down right now either. Like the fires are raging today. That's 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 a really interesting day to sign with LA. Well, the bats are going to be on fire. That's for sure. (laughs) That sounds good. So who's he playing with? So if, if he so, goes to the Angels, the bats are going to be crazy. Right, right. So there's Trout and Pujols. And, and, and this is where our math from last week, our magic equation, comes in. So he goes to the American League. What do they want? They want to put him in DH, right? And uh, so he will be, I think, working at DH not full-time, but pretty much. And that's Pujols' role. And they're already conditioning him to start first base is what I'm Pujols. guessing. Yeah, Pujols. Uh-huh. So he's starting to work out so that he can go back onto the field to give room for Otani. But between those bats, like if you have him and Pujols and Trout. And they have Trout for a few more years, so it's going to be a nice little overlap there. Yeah. So the other the other numbers that are moving around besides like DH to first and uh, money going to the international pool is the um, the Angels World Series odds improved immensely this afternoon. When's our field trip to Vegas? Well, we don't even have to go. And, okay. Well, I want to go to see the Vegas hockey team play, but that's different. Okay, so the World Series odds for the Angels went down from fifty to one to thirty to one nice. today. That's pretty good. So the other thing that's happening this week. Well, and next week, actually, is when the winter meeting starts with all the general managers. So there's going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing and trading with all the GMs in the same place. And it was going to be Otani's got to settle out and Stanton have to settle out. So everyone can decide what money do they have left because they did or didn't get Stanton or Otani. And what holes do they have because they didn't did or didn't get Stanton or Otani. And now Otani is spoken for. So it's really just Stanton. We've got the spotlight on Stanton. And Stanton wants a winning team. He's been a winning player for a long time. He was MVP. He's got the bat. But now he wants a destination. So he put out his wish list. And he's got it out there. Uh, Nobody we love too much is on it right now. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Cubs, and the Astros. Because he thinks they all have a chance of winning it all. Yeah, and... None of them seem to be at the top of the list for wanting him back. This is really still a, a you know, a, I, I love you, you love them, they love somebody else story. Unrequited love. Unrequited love all around. And the smart money is still on the Giants getting him, so he may settle for that. But he's still in a position of power, not just power hitting, but power. Because he can he can just sit on the Marlins. He can just stay there and suck up all their salary money and, and see what happens. Or... He can make a move for whoever's willing to to pay the money. And if that pisses Jeter off a little bit, I'm just all okay with that. I'm all good with that, too. So That's we'll fine. see what happens next week. Or maybe as soon as we're done recording today, if, <laughs> if history proves out. So I have an interesting trade rumor for you that I think you personally will truly enjoy knowing your love for the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, adore them. I know so much. Um, so Manny Machado. Who, Our, my favorite. <laughs> who is sort of a franchise player, third base for the O's. There are rumors of the O's getting phone calls about wanting Machado. And there are five or six teams that have been tossed around as possibilities for Machado. And I'm just telling you, the two of those teams, Indians 
and the Red Sox. You can have them. No fucking way <laughs> is anybody in Boston going to deal with that. We love Pedroia too much. Anybody who's been in an altercation with him, not going to happen. Just not going to happen. You, that's my that's my bet. You heard it here you first. Heard it Next here week first. we'll t- we'll tell you the story of Machado going to the Red Sox. Um, oh, but the, shit. The, shit. he's only got one more year before he's a free agent. And um, again, the smart money says that he will have a Stanton like price tag. And he's younger. And he's younger. So whoever takes if he does get traded, it's going to be for a team that's going to be willing to really put up a boatload of money next year to keep him. So stay tuned. We'll see what happens there. You know, the the other boatload of money team in the Northeast, it it scares me that they would have him. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And he's good, so it scares me for him to be there. At least you admitted he was good. That's that's awfully sweet. Good, but damn it. No (laughs) fucking way. No fucking way. Can, Can we... Let's move to people that you actually do like oh boyfriends there's boyfriend news there's boyfriend news and i just want the world to know that potty mouth's world series boyfriend jose altuve was the sports illustrated player of the year woot woot. i just saw the cover fo- photo i didn't check out the centerfold was there a centerfold I, I i didn't look at the actual magazine all right um, but he looks good in a suit i'm just saying adorable happy for him so we're still working from the bottom of the barrel on the boyfriends, and uh, we, we've moved up a little bit, so now we're on the A's and the Reds. Should we start with the A's? Let's start with the A's. What you got? So I checked out, you know, my usual first screening I of like a roster. I like how you use checkout, checkout. To, to cover boyfriends. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's what we got to do. We're, we're playing the field, so to speak, before we get our teams together. And so the, my first scan through the roster, as always, is there a former Red Sox on there? And how do I feel about him? And immediately, Jed Lowry, shortstop, loved him on the Sox, did not go in a bad way, did not want to leave, was part of a trade. So there's that. And so I thought, cool, he's on the A's now. How has he been doing? So I did a little bit of Googling, and I came up with this stat cast, four new stats that are fun for those of us who love math. And he was on three of them. And that's pretty cool. So it, it was the StatCast most improved hitters list for 2017. So he was number one on exit velocity, which I kind of just thought was speed of the ball when you hit it in fair play. But it's it, not. It, it, it's all ball events. What is it? Ball. There's two B's in there. Fuck. I forget what the second B is. Something about. Did I tell you? I told you this before. Damn it. Buku ball events. Yeah. Boisterous Some, ball events. <laughs> that could be it. Anyway, it could be any ball event. It could be an error. It could be a foul ball. It could be a home run. But we're just looking at the speed of it. Anytime a ball is hit by a player. Exactly. Then the second stat, so he was number one on exit velocity. So he's fast. Number two is his launch angle, which I can kind of figure out what that means. That's the angle it launches off the bat when you hit it, which you would think would be a really good thing all the time. But not if it's a pop fly. Some of those go really high, but then they come down really short. So the cool stat that he's number one at is his hard hit rate. Check that out. Nice. So his hard hit rate is helping me with my math skills because it is exit velocity plus hang time. And, you know, I like to hang. So hang time and launch angle. And it's all put together in some cool equation Comes out with some cool algorithm, and he's number one. So that's my dude. I'm sticking with him. Jed Lowry. I like it. I'm going to tell you about my boyfriend without using any math whatsoever, which is weird. But you got to use some weird spelling with your guy. I am. I'm going with Chris Davis, and it's Chris with a K. 
So that's okay. It's K-R-I-S Chris Davis, which is different than Chris Davis on the O's. More about that later. But okay, so Chris Davis is left fielder for the A's. And I didn't realize this initially, but he came right behind Aaron Judge for the most home runs in the American League. So that's pretty cool. He's also the first Oakland A with consecutive 40 home run seasons. And that's not McGuire. It's not Jose Canseco. They didn't do it. Reggie Jackson didn't do it. Chris Davis did it two seasons in a row. That's awfully cool. And he hits to all parts of the park, which I really like. But the thing that really sold me on him was he has an issue that's kind of like the yips. You know, the yips when the pitcher is afraid to to throw to first base to, to try to pick off a runner. He's got a thing about throwing from the outfield, which, you know, he plays left field. He's got to throw from the damn outfield. And he says, like, his head, it gets in the way when he has time. If it's a fast play, he can react. He can throw it well. He can throw it accurately. It's all good. But when he's got time to think about it, he worries too much. And he calls it the creature. Like, the creature gets in his head. And the fact that he admitted this publicly, and he actually wrote this essay about it, which we're going to link to as, as part of the podcast, it's he's really very expressive about it. Here's what I think about it. Here's what I'm doing to try to solve the problem. So he's solving this issue kind of in public, and he's really very cool about it. So um, I'm going with Chris Davis. I, I think it's very cool. I just want to say that a boyfriend writing an essay for the public is like extra points. I, I'm very impressed by that. I think that's I like the brainy be, ones, too. That's got to be unique. Sure. Sure. Let's go to the Reds. Let's go to the Reds. So I started shopping around thinking I've got to be a little creative. Let's look at the Reds list. And then I just had to go back to Votto. I just There's no reason not to go, go back Votto. to Votto. He's been on the Reds for 11 years, 2007 through 2017. He's 34 years old, which makes him a respectable age for me kind of checking him out a little bit. His uh, batting average over the entire time is 313, which turns- Over 11 years? Yeah. Oh, that rocks. Yeah, and, and out of active players, it turns out that he's third behind Cabrera and Altuve, two nice. Venezuelans that I rem- admire incredibly. But not only that, like you would say, defense is sexy. Yeah, it is. He's the fourth active stat on first baseman turning double plays, and turning double plays is definitely a sexy thing. He was that almost MVP, and I think we we're pulling for him. But We were. Stanton, but Stanton. But the really cool thing about him is there, there are these insurance MLB player um awards every year and they have a bunch of really interesting ones like personality and I mean there's the guy of the game too or the best single um, play was it but he got the player fan interaction award and there was this six-year-old kid who had the nickname of super bubs which is adorable I'm drinking there, there you go. That's but worked. that time it oh, adorable. It did work. It's about a six-year-old. It's, it's about, not a, about, it's six not a sports word. It's okay. I'm still drinking. So the kid was a cancer patient, and he was invited to a game one week and met Vado. And then Vado knew he was coming back a week later, and he was going to be seated in the first row. And Vado goes out. And so I, I've seen a bunch of articles on this, and they actually differ as to whether he pointed at the kid before or after the home run. But either way, he pointed at the kid, he called the home run, he hit the home run. After he hit the home run, he gave the kid a high five, his bat, and took off his shirt and gave it to the kid. The actual shirt off his back. The actual shirt. So this was last season during the summer. I think it was actually August. The sad news at the end of it, though, is that the kid died in October from neuroblastoma 
And Vado went to the funeral and also taped a very public statement about it. So just it, it's extra points for a Absolutely boyfriend. Absolutely extra points. Extra points. And so as to not end on a really touching note, but but sad. Um, he also got a donkey for Zach Cozart. So I think, and and I think you know about more about the donkey. But the the part of it that I know is it was before the All Star Game, right? And uh, I think Vado said to Cozart, "I betcha you're gonna make All Star." And Cozart said, nah. And Vado said, if you make it, I'll get you a donkey, which to me sounded like, what? But it's it kind turns of a punishment, out, but no, it's a reward, right? right? But Carrot, he, he stick, actually, I don't know. He likes donkeys. Like, there, there was some weird thing that he knew that that was like an appropriate present for him. So he made the all-star team and he had to buy him a donkey. So I've been taking my kid to ballparks around the country, largely where we have family or friends. So it's really easy to go to those ballparks. And this summer... We went to the Great American Ballpark, which is the home of the Cincinnati Reds, and we were there when the donkey came to the ballpark. We saw the donkey. The donkey did a lap around the Great American Ballpark. The donkey ran the bases? The outfield, too. The whole. Actually, I think the donkey might have been on a cart. Oh, okay. It was kind of a... I, I want to say donkey. lame, but I don't want to. It's not like a medical term. Right. <laughs> but anyway, the, the donkey is real. We saw the donkey. And a fun fact... The donkey is named Donald, and Cozart swears it's the duck, not the president, but I'm just going to put that out there. His kid named it. His, his kid, his named kid it. was a Donald he Duck says, fan. Donald Duck fan. He says that. Yeah. And so we're going to go with that because that's the public answer. All right. More reds. Okay. So while we were at the Great American Ballpark, I had lots of opportunity to check out, I mean, audition boyfriends nice. from the reds. And I'm going with Scooter Jeanette for a couple of reasons. Um, it's not just the Grand Slam against the Red Sox. I, ouch! Yeah, I, I love you, Potty Mouth. You know ouch. I do. Ouch! Fucking ouch! But part of it is the nickname. Come on, Scooter. And we found out while we were at the ballpark how we got the nickname Scooter. Turns out he's had a life of crime since he was a small child. His mother could not get him to wear a seatbelt when he was a little kid. So to scare him, his mom took him to the police department so they could tell him how important it was to wear a seatbelt. And the police officer asked for his name, and he wouldn't give his real name, which is Ryan, by the way. He said his name was Scooter. Yes, after the Muppet. And it stuck. He has been Scooter ever since. So I got to like that. He's also a heck of a guy. He was the Roberto Clemente nominee, award nominee for the Reds because of the work he does with orphaned and abandoned children in South Africa, which is wonderful and amazing and very cool. He's also had a career year with the Reds. He's almost doubled his home run total and his RBI total from the previous season. That's huge. Almost 100% improvement in both of those categories. And you talked about those insurance awards. One of them is like the outstanding like performance in one game, which my, my real boyfriend, Anthony Rendon, won That's right. for his 10 RBI game. But, um, but Scooter was was up for that because he had a four home run game. So that's who I'm going with, with the Reds. So we'll see what happens with that. And next week we have more. Next week we're going with the Baltimore Orioles and the Mets for our boyfriends. That's going to hurt both ways, isn't it? It's going to be, I have nowhere to go there. O's and Mets, that's rough. I need some advice. I got to call up some friends, like like maybe your daughter. Like maybe the kid I have who's named after Orioles Park, Camden Yards. So we'll see. Maybe maybe she can do some matchmaking for us. I have some Mets connections, too. I'm going to definitely have to call in the troops for this one. It's going to be hard. 
So I only have one facial hair note this week, only one grooming note, and it's Justin Turner of the Dodgers, the ginger of ginger beards earlier on. Um, He no longer looks like he comes from north of the wall. He trimmed his beard. It's short. It's well-groomed. You know why? No more Viking look? No more Viking look. He's getting married. I don't know if it was his fiance or his mom. I don't know who made him do it, but... He did it. He looks very nice and neat and a little bit professional, not professional ball player, but like professional guy in a suit now. So just putting that out there. There's a long way to go till spring training. He can probably grow it out a little bit. Yeah. You know, I couldn't find any information about when the actual wedding is, although he's already had his bachelor party. His fiance has already had her bachelorette party, but there's no dates for weddings out in public. So good for them. Uh-huh. Keep that. Keep that private. Exactly. So, um. Big issues this week. We were pretty serious last week. So this week, I think we might go just a little bit lighter. Um, We're both big fans of uh, of Jonah Carey, the sports writer. And he's working on a story about the 100 best athletes in the world, currently playing athletes in the world. And and he had a big conversation about how do you decide who that is, comparing one person like maybe, um, you know, Simone Biles, the gymnast, against Mike Trout, for instance. How do you compare these things? And... um, one of the things that came up was, okay, any really, any world-class athlete should be able to stand on the pitcher's mound and throw a ceremonial first pitch the whole 60 feet in generally a straight line, which I thought that's not a bad screening tool, which made me think about first pitches that I have seen and enjoyed and first pitches that have made the news. And I think you've got one. You want me to start off? I think you should. You should tell one or two years. So I, I think I. Oh, okay. I've got two. So I'll, I'll start with the first one and let me know if you want me to keep going. But when you said that that was going to be our theme and that you had a couple, it took me a minute and then I thought, oh my god, I totally remember this from last year. So it was last August, and uh, it was the 50th anniversary of the 1967 Impossible Dream Team of the Red Sox. So the most memorable name from there is Carl Yastrzemski, but also Rico Petroselli. And uh, so the Dream Team was out there. They all get introduced, and they're standing there waiting for the ceremonial first pitch. And the, the kid who threw it was a Jimmy Fund kid. And the Jimmy Fund is something wonderful that the Red Sox have done for years, which is a fund for kids with cancer. And they once in a while spotlight a kid, invite them to a game, uh, interview them before the game. So there was a kid who in 2007 had just come out of his cancer treatment and had just come out of his wheelchair and he ran the bases as coming out of his wheelchair for the first time. Very poetic. Ten years later, 2017, 1967 Dream Team is out there. This kid is now cancer survivor, high school pitcher, and so he gets to throw the first pitch. Awesome. Everybody's watching. Throws the pitch. Not only does he miss the, miss the catcher, but he hits the cameraman behind him in the nuts. Square <laughs> in the balls. So there is a series, and El Jefe has got to put this link up there. Because there's a series of reaction shots related to this. There's, of course, the cameraman who's getting hit in the balls. There's the pitcher who's fucking mortified. And his quote afterwards is, and I'm a pitcher. Like, he was really a pitcher on his high school team. And then the best reaction shot is of the 1967 Dream Team all going, oh. Like, you can see them all groaning at the same time. I think a couple of them, like, clutch their crotches. But it's just a priceless uh 
priceless series of shots there. So that was what first came into my mind when you said ceremonial first pitch. Well, it's actually one of the the first pitch themes that you see, which is the the sort of like the what should be a heartwarming mm-hmm. story, a, a story about a kid, a story about a, a kid being brave and overcoming health issues and all of that, um, which doesn't necessarily always turn out right. There is one that's been turning out great all around Major League Baseball, and that's Haley Dawson, who's a seven-year-old girl who has the robotic arm, the 3D-printed arm. And she had said that her dream was to throw out a first pitch in all Major League ballparks, and and everyone's inviting her, of course. And so she's been doing a lot of them and doing it just lovely. And she actually threw out the pitch for Game 4 of the World Series, and they had a special 3D-printed arm for her with the Astros logo on it. And she pitched... she tossed the ball underhand to Altuve, and it was a lovely thing. And so you get these like heartwarming, very sweet kind of interactions with some of the ceremonial first pitches. But sometimes you go to a game and they have a thousand people throwing out ceremonial first pitches for God knows what reason. Sometimes it's minor league games. Sometimes it's when I was at the at at Great American Ballpark, they had four or five ceremonial first pitches, which kind of loses their power. But you, you told me you had a story that I would like about many people throwing out first pitches. Yeah. So I was talking to your brother-in-law today. And My brother-in-law. Said, your brother-in-law. Huh. And he was saying, well, you know the story about your other brother-in-law throwing out the first pitch at the Fresno minor league game. I can't remember the name of the team. And I said, I haven't heard this story. Could you please tell it to me? And so then I asked you and you hadn't heard the story. So it turns out that your brother-in-law, who was working for the Fresno newspaper, well, is that right? Well, yeah, the, the Fresno Bee. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was sports um, editor, in fact. Yeah. yeah. So he, that's the, and that's the connection. That makes sense. Sports editor. So he told the paper, I guess, that your, your in-laws were coming into town. And so they hooked him up with the minor league team so that he could throw out the first pitch. But like you said, there was a whole bunch of them. So I guess he's hanging out in the dugout with like the five other guys who are <laughs> about to throw out the first pitch. And there's this kid behind him with his father and the kid's like knees are shaking and he looks up at his dad and his dad, you know, of course, fine kid. And the ga- dad has to leave. So the dad leaves and your brother-in-law is stuck next to him and looks down at him and the kid turns like pale, just white as a sheet, starts shaking, pees his pants. Wait, Moments- wait, my brother-in-law or the kid? <laughs> just oh, checking. he's going to love this. He's okay. Gonna- um, the kid. Okay. The kid wets his pants. Moments before the first pitch. Your brother-in-law, the hero, though, pulls out a $50 bill, runs out of the dugout, flags down the kid's father, gives him the money and says, go now to the team store, buy your kid an extra large t-shirt fast. Oh, my God. The father goes, (laughs) buys the t-shirt, brings it down, gives it to the kid right before they go out on the field. Kid puts it on. It's adorable. He's wearing a big t-shirt. It's for the team. Everybody thinks it's just a cute thing. Just everything saved. Thanks to him. Wow, yeah, He's a, I've got. I'm related to heroes. There you go. And oh. but the one detail that I didn't get out of the story is who made it over the mound. So or made it over home plate rather from the mound. So that's my assignment for for Christmas that's, is to find out the answer to that. I'll, re, I'll report back on that. So one thing that I know about first pitches is that okay. So this kid clearly was very nervous. It makes a lot of people nervous, right? So there's a fictional story and a real-life story I have to share about how nervous people get about throwing out the first pitch. The fictional one is I'm a big fan of the TV show The West Wing. I've seen it many, many times, the whole series. 
So um, fictional president Jed Bartlett is asked to throw out the first pitch. Sure, I'm going to do this, and I'm confident, and this is going to be fine. And there's this great scene of him and, and, and Charlie, his assistant, in the residence at the White House, in the hallway of the residence, practicing first pitches so he doesn't embarrass himself. A lamp may have sacrificed itself for the, for the good of that, but yeah. Um, but also, real-life person that, that I met, um, Chris Mosier is um, on the, the, the staff of You Can Play, which, which advocates for LGBTQ inclusion in sports. Um, we met, my, my, my kid and I met Chris at a Nike event over this past season, and he was in town in conjunction with the Nationals' um, night out at the ballpark. And he was going to throw out the, the first pitch. And he told this great story to me and my kid about he – okay, so he is a trans athlete. He's an Olympian. He's a triathlete. And he's the first uh, trans athlete that Nike's given a sponsorship to. So he's a big freaking deal, right? Hasn't thrown a baseball for a decade or more. So he was really nervous. So he goes out for runs every day, of course. And he said he would take a baseball with him and he would run by ballparks just hoping there would be somebody out there that he could ask to practice with. So he wouldn't just throw the ball against the wall so he wouldn't embarrass himself. But we were at that game. Awesome. He did fine. It was it was fantastic. And um, my, my, my favorite pitch I didn't actually witness was uh, another Olympian, Katie Ledecky, the, the world-class swimmer, who was going to throw the first pitch at a Nats game. And she made Bryce Harper come out there with her and very slowly handed him each one of her five or six gold medals one at a time and made him stand there holding all of her gold medals while she nailed a pitch right over home plate, which I thought was kind of awesome. That's awesome. And that picture of her stance is really good. Is that a link that's going to be? It could be. It could be. Actually, I I did find a a very funny infographic about um, ceremonial first pitches and where they landed. So perhaps we'll do a link to that so so you can see. It's very funny about where do um, celebrities versus um, politicians versus um, actually athletes in in other sports do and then ceremonial first pitches. Or even former pitchers. And even former pitchers are on that as well. And the last thing I want to say about it is we are such a wonky town here in D.C. that I was at um, a game a couple years back. So the Department of Health and Human Services every year has an annual outing for their staff at a Nationals game. I happened to be at a game that was that. And so um, Kathleen Sebelius, who was the director of HHS at the time, threw out the first pitch. Did fine. That started a conversation between me and the people that I was with about what other HHS directors do you think would have been a, a great ceremonial first pitch thrower? And everybody had an opinion. Every one of us knew who they could talk about <laughs> for an HHS director throwing out a first pitch. My pitch, my, my pick, in case you want to know, is Donna Shalala. Yeah, I would agree with who that. Who you might That's appreciate because of. she is a, a short but mighty yes. person. And a fun fact about her, she did, in fact, throw out a first pitch for an O's game. It was before the Nats existed. Really? And turns out she played softball in Cleveland. And you know who her coach was? In Cleveland. In Cleveland. That's awesome. You know who her coach was? Mm-mm. George Steinbrenner. Unreal. Seriously. And she claims that if you if one were to ask Steinbrenner who his favorite shortstop was ever, he would say Donna Shalala, and I would go with that. That's amazing. So that's my story about about ceremonial first pitches. So worth it. So, so worth, worth it. it. Oh, oh, uh, I just wanted to uh, put out a plug there. Like, I love this first pitch idea. I think we need to think about nicknames in the future, especially you're talking about uh, Scooter tonight. I think sure. that's something we're going to. There, there are some, some baseball nicknames. I've heard a few. Okay. So Next. we've we've got we've got a pretty big week ahead. The winter meetings start on Monday, so there'll be lots of trade news. Hall of Fame announcements ha- happen this weekend. 
Also, what announcements? Uh, winners? No, they got they got a long time to vote. Really? Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah, I no, really there's there's, there's no, there's a, there's a ways to go. All right. <laughs> okay, so winter meetings start on Monday. So the the GMs will be together. There'll be lots of trade information. So hopefully we'll be back with lots of news next week. What else do we have? Spring training countdown. I'm looking right now. 67 days, three hours, three minutes, and 50-something seconds, but less by the time you hear this. That is pretty awesome. And um, I'm going to like go do some holiday shopping. What about you? So I have this idea of an easy free gift for the hol- holidays for our listeners. What y'all can do is you can get your loved ones eight, count them, eight episodes, one for each night of Hanukkah, of no <laughs> crying in baseball. Just... Point them towards where? Point them towards Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And when you gift them these eight episodes, make sure you leave a review and a rating and tell your friends all about No Crying in Baseball. We'll see you next time. Ooh, bubbly noises. I like it.